HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Hot Dish Productions, an award-winning modern culinary production company. Learn more at hotdishproductions.com. This week on Meet and 3, we're celebrating the food culture of South Carolina with its chef ambassadors. I'm super excited that it's soft shell crab season. (laughs) Those little suckers are delicious. People think, oh, tomato's a tomato. No, there is a a good tomato and a bad tomato. So when they come to to Hampton or even, uh, you know, even in South Carolina, you can really find... uh, incredible ingredient. We started getting lettuce from Micro Leon Farms in Conway. He's it's a, a super sweet family that runs that little farm. Tune in to Meet and 3, available wherever you get your podcasts. Hey there, and welcome to the Feed Feed podcast. I'm Alexa Santos, a food editor at the Feed Feed, the world's largest crowdsourced food publication and social media community, serving as your daily source for what to cook, bake, eat, and drink. Throughout season four of the Feed Feed podcast, we will be trying to help you solve that daily question that we're all faced with, which is what's for dinner? Each week, we will be speaking with members of the hashtag Feed Feed community who are a constant source of ideas and inspiration and help us get dinner on the table every night. Today, I'm so excited to be joined by Ellen Bennett. Ellen is the founder and CEO of Headley & Bennett, a leading culinary workwear brand. She's also a former chef from Michelin-starred restaurants and now a book author. Her book, Dream First Details Later, has finally hit the shelves. Check out Ellen on social media at Ellen Marie Bennett and Headley & Bennett at Headley & Bennett. Welcome to the Feed Feed podcast, Ellen. I am so excited to chat with you. Thanks, Alexa. I'm so pumped to be here, too. Yay. So let's hear about this book. I know this was kind of a long time coming, and you are just (laughs) a wealth of wisdom and inspiration, boss lady in the house. So tell us all about this. Oh, girl. It is really a summary of so many failures and learnings, and I think that those are the most important times in your career where you are literally just face to the pavement and then you get back up and you learn something that you wouldn't have learned if you were only succeeding. So (laughs) a lot of the book honestly is about that. And it's about starting something 
from nothing and how to get that ball going and where to begin, how to talk about your idea with people, how to take that first scary leap and just begin. And a lot of it is me basically giving you a giant pep talk to just start (laughs) and stop overthinking it. So I feel like it's very timely since the entire world is starting to open up. And so many of us have been, you know, holed up, not being able to go out into the world. Our restaurant industry has been fully decimated and now it's coming back to life, you know, like, a phoenix in the fire and it's just it's it's the time to make those dreams you've been noodling on finally come true so that is what the idea is and it's an extremely colorful business book the actual inside (laughs) is full color spreads infographics very very visual so it's a fun read while being a very honest read about beginning the journey and continuing on the journey Wow. Yeah. I love that you mentioned that it was colorful. Like that's important. (laughs) It really is. You think about, you go to the business book section of any bookstore or online, whatever. They're all black and white. I'm like, why the hell are books black and white? Business (laughs) books should be colorful. Like the actual experience of running a business. It ain't black and white. It's a lot of detail, a lot of color, a lot of action. Oh my gosh. So yeah, you have just a brief little background summary. Tell us a little bit about your kind of chef to CEO story. I know it's, I know it's a good one and you've been doing this for a while, but for those who don't know, let's hear it. (laughs) Quite, quite the pivot in life, but I think that's, that's part of the journey too. talk about that in the book. I'm like, that's like chapter three. Uh, (laughs) Exactly. Uh, So I used to cook at a restaurant here in LA called Providence and then another one called Baco Mercat. And I was, you know, earning my stripes in the kitchen when I realized that our uniforms were really horrendous and that nobody looked good or felt good in the kitchen with their like paper thin aprons. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to make garments that made you look and feel awesome. So I decided to make the perfect apron. We used really incredible material and I started it out of my house with basically $300 No investment, no MBA, no background in business whatsoever. But I had this idea and I really felt like we all needed it, myself included. And so I got going with it and turned it into essentially a custom apron business. And you've probably seen it out in the world. Like we outfit almost every show on Food Network and Top Chef. We are in over 6,000 restaurants across the United States. But as the company has evolved and grown, it has now really headed towards like direct-to-consumer home cooks. So we've taken all this knowledge that we got from these thousands of chefs that wear us every day religiously in the restaurants, and we've taken it to the home so that people at home too can look and feel awesome when they're cooking and make an apron be part of their experience. So that is where Headley Abundant is today. Our logo is this little and a symbol, like an Mm -hmm. ampersand. It's Mm -hmm. a little red patch on the chest. So if you ever see it out in the wild, you'll know that's Headley and Bennett. (laughs) And uh, it's it's really been such an unbelievable adventure because to your point, I went from basically a line cook to running my own organization. But I've been working on it for eight and a half years. Now we have an incredible team that is so supportive and helps do everything. But at the beginning, I was a one-man band. I was an octopus running Headley and Bennett. And it was hard and it didn't happen overnight. So anybody listening out there, 
do not judge yourself against organizations or businesses that are like, and suddenly everybody knew about them. It's like, things take time. I, I just spoke to the team at Dickie's uh, about the book yesterday and they're like, we're about to celebrate our hundred year anniversary. And oh my like, God. Damn. That is long. That's longevity right there. That's amazing. And so we just have to remember that not everything is overnight. Give it time. Let it become something over the years. That's timeless. You don't want to be just like an overnight flash in the pan success. You want to be around for decades. Yes. My gosh. Yeah. And it's, this is awesome because I feel like we're getting a little taste of the, uh, the Ellen Bennett wisdom, <laughs> like you know, like the, obviously you should check out the book too, but like write this stuff down too, because it's awesome and like very, very inspirational. And so obviously now you're, you're, you know, a female run company and, you know, doing amazing things, but I wanted to talk to you a lot about your kind of your background. I know you have yeah. Mexican roots and is that, is that both sides of your family? And I want to, I want to know all about like kind of your cooking, your culinary upbringing and all that, because in addition to being <laughs> a CEO and business lady, you are an amazing cook. So I want to hear all about the amazing food. So totally start with, I guess, your childhood, like, you know, what was, what was kind of the culinary situation when you were growing up? The culinary sitch. So (laughs) I am proudly Mexican and English. I was, you know, I have a mom that's Mexican and a dad that his entire family is from England and Sweden. So quite the combo. Oh my God, my mom's whole family is from England. No way. Oh my gosh, amazing. Okay, hell yeah. Does does anybody over there have an accent? Oh, absolutely. Headley, my grandfather, Headley and Bennett, he was English and uh, yes, very thick accent. Mm. And we would eat Walker's cookies and have tea every day at 4 p.m. It was a whole thing. Oh my God, that's (laughs) so cute. Yeah, my mom's side of the family, my grandparents were so, so, so British. So British. And like crazy, like my my grandpa drove a Mini Cooper with the English flag on it. No, <laughs> like, that's yes. amazing. Well, yeah, that, yeah, that's pretty. That's pretty English. Damn, yes. I'm impressed. We, yes. uh, yeah, we had two big Great Danes. It was sort of like the signature dog, and <laughs> uh, tea every day, and Walker's cookies. And my grandfather always listened to violin music in the background. I mean, it just oh felt God. really British. And then yeah, on really the other stereotypical, <laughs> really, yeah. I'm like, geez, guys, you really follow the stereotype. Yeah. And then on the other side, I had my unbelievably magically colorful Mexican family that lived. A lot of them lived in Mexico, and I got mm-hmm. to go all the time for the summer. So I'd go for like three months, sometimes even four months at a time if I could convince my mom to let me stay. And I was always with my abuelita. So I was glued to her hip all the time, living in the kitchen with her. I remember taking notes on like little napkins and papers that I would find. I'd be like, abuelita, what are you making there? And she would say, oh, you know, you just have to add a little dash of this and throw a little cumin and, you know, don't forget to taste it. And and everything was a feeling. It was about like, how the food made people feel, how she felt while she was eating it, how she felt if it had enough salt. And it was so beautiful. I I just like, I felt all the feels when I was cooking with her and oh. I wanted that and I wanted more of it. And anytime I was, I was over at my friend's houses in Mexico, everybody would be running around and I would be in the kitchen staring at the grandmas, asking them <laughs> what they were making. And I loved it. I was just this little sponge absorbing all these aromas and experiences around me. And I vividly recall 
running to the street corner where they the tortilla um it was like a tortilla depot i suppose there was one or two people there and they had a gigantic tortilla machine behind them mm. taking masa and smashing the tortillas up and then putting them out on a conveyor belt and there would be a line of people waiting for their fresh tortillas for lunch or for dinner. Oh and that my. was like a daily occurrence. You would go and get your stack of tortillas. You'd go get a liter of Coca-Cola and you would take your reusable bottle down the street. They'd change out the bottle, give you a new one. And that was lunch. And then you had beans and cheese and all this stuff. And it was just, it was so simple. It honestly then, sounds delicious. <laughs> oh my gosh. It was so delicious and so like amazing. Everybody was so happy. And so when you compare these two cultures to each other in on one end, you've got living in LA and everybody wants to be a model and become an mm -hmm. actress and everyone's judging like, what, what area do you live in? Whatever stuff like that, just not important things. And then Mexico, nobody cares about that. They're just like, Hey, do you want to come over for beans and cheese? And you're like, yes, I do. And, <laughs> and fresh was, tortillas and, and fresh tortillas. And I love that. And that isn't to say there's so much wealth in Mexico. Just my family did not come from that. So we, it was a very modest neighborhood and, and the streets you know, were dirt and, and we ran around playing soccer. And then in LA, I went to, you know, a, a private school. So it was, yeah. it was a quite the combination and I loved it because I got to see both worlds at the same time. Yeah. And that was probably really helpful for you, you know, as a little one to kind of like learn and like broaden your horizons. And like, I'm so jealous because like, that's just like, that's such a cool, you know, experience. And I'm sure you were, you know, being bilingual and just like being yep. so immersed in both cultures was just awesome. So how old were you when you were kind of doing all that, that cooking in the kitchen with your grandma? Like, were you cooking from a really, really young age or like how old were you? I mean, I was nosing around for from a very young age, I'd say probably six, seven, eight. But one of the earliest meals I remember making was picadillo, which mm. is kind of a, a little bit of a universal dish each mm -hmm you know, country makes it a little bit differently, but picadillo is basically ground beef with carrots and potatoes and tomato. And you blend up tomatoes and onions and you pour it on top, you put corn in it. And it just becomes sort of like a, a casserole, if you will. And it is so delicious when you serve it with beans and queso fresco and fresh tortillas. And it's, it's like homey and filling. And it's, it's a, it's a poor man's food, but like, in the most nourishing way humanly possible. And it's one of my mm -hmm. favorite dishes. So I remember early on making that, I was probably like, I don't know, 10, 11, some, somewhere wow. in that range. And it changed me in the sense that I, I thought, man, you take these ingredients that are totally separated and then you put them together and you put heat against them and you add a little bit of salt and there's like a little bit of, it's very like salt, fat, acid, heat moment, but I'm yeah. like, and then you add, you know, a little bit of oil and it comes together and it changes completely. Oh my God, this is so cool. <laughs> and that was, I was like, all right, I'm hooked. I love this. I want to do more of that. Oh my gosh. So you were really like, you got the bug early. Like you were oh, very yeah. bought in. And so obviously it made sense that you, you know, grew up and became a chef. So <laughs> yeah, exactly. I always knew I wanted to do food or do something in food. It was what like lit me up so much. And so off I went on my, on my wild journey to, to find where I fit in the world in, in food.
Oh my gosh. Amazing. So you had the two cultures, the two sides. What were some of the like staples in your kitchen? I don't know. I mean, I know you were with your abuelita in Mexico, but in normal when you were, you know, with your parents in LA, like who was cooking? What, like, what was some of the dishes you were kind of having day to day? Yeah. So here's the ironic part. My mother, so my parents got divorced when I was pretty young and I ended up being raised by my um, incredible single Mexican mama and she mm. did not know how to cook. And so <laughs> I went from being in Mexico with my abuelita who obviously cooked incredibly. So I mm-hmm. had something to compare it to, not in a bad way, but I was just like, all right, this food is not like abuelitas. What do we need to do to get yeah. there? And so I, my mom is also a nurse, so she'd work 12 hour shifts and I, we'd be home all day. And, you know, we were kind of like lucky children, like just stay at home. Don't go out. Don't get into trouble. Just like, here's some frozen burritos from Trader Joe's. And so we, we started at home, my sister and I, like she would just watch TV and I'd be like, all right, I'm going to go into dial up internet back in the day of AOL. And I'm going to like find recipes and see what I can come up with. And I just kind of took matters into my own hands and started cooking really for, for my sister and I, but also like to feed my mom because she'd come home late. And I thought, well, that'd be cool if she comes home and I made a feast for her. And so I, I started typing things in like, bagels. I'm like, okay, how do you make bagels? And then I'd go find a recipe for bagels. And then my mom would come home and there'd be piles of bagels all over the kitchen because I hadn't read the serving instructions or like how many it would make, but I was committed to making them. Or sometimes I'd make her beef stew and I had no idea what I was doing. There was nobody around to instruct me. It was just me and the internet. And so that was kind of how I began cooking. So it was very weird and eclectic. And when we weren't eating Ellen's weird inventions. <laughs> we were basically eating Trader Joe's frozen foods. So that was uh, that was what really propelled me to start learning to cook. Oh my gosh. Well, you were really on the cutting edge with the Trader Joe's. My God. <laughs> like <you're, laughs> Totally. People are doing that by choice now. Yeah. <laughs> Trader Joe's frozen food. No problem. Like, that sounds oh great. Gosh, I didn't even realize so they were true. around that long. Not that to say oh, that you're yeah. old, but like. Oh no, I'm 33. They were like alive and present when I was 10. Yeah. It must have been a California thing, I guess. It totally was. Yes. Trader Joe's was like your local neighborhood grocery store. Yeah. It was a while before they entered the New York City wavelength. Wow. Okay. Well, yeah, you were on the cutting edge with so many things. Look at that. (laughs) Exactly. Awesome. So you went from this like (laughs) kind of ragtag Frankenstein, like put stuff together, make it work, kind of teach yourself with the dial up internet to (laughs) fast forward however many years and you're cooking in a, you know, Michelin starred kitchen. I guess how, what was kind of next? Like fill in those blanks of, you know, I assume you went to culinary school and like how did your cooking style evolve to kind of bring you to that caliber of, you know, kind of perfecting or, you know, mastering that craft that you were so passionate about? Totally. I mean, the books talks a lot about this, but it's, it's honestly about showing up and trying and trying again and failing and then getting back up and trying again. And so it was a lot of that and getting myself comfortable with being uncomfortable and not having things always turn out well. 
And you kind of get used to that in cooking, right? Because you try one thing and it sort of works and you try something else and maybe it doesn't. And you just got to do it again. And there's a beauty to the instant results, right? You're not having to wait like 15 days. It's Mm -hmm. like an hour or two or three, whatever you're doing. Uh, And I loved loved that I would just fall off and I'd get back up again. And I'd be like, oh no, I'm trying this again. And so it it was an evolution of that through my childhood of just, trying and trying all these new recipes. And then I somehow convinced a couple of people to like, let me come and cook uh, meals for them as kind of a personal chef, if you will, mm-hmm. uh, when I was like 17, 18. And, and so I got the opportunity to then do this on steroids, you know, where somebody else was paying for the groceries. And I had a whole list of all the different things that I wanted to make and I wanted to learn how to do. And I would just make it for other people because that was part of the sort of mini job, right? So I had a bunch of random jobs like that, that just helped give me more opportunities to try different things. And by the way, I would say, you know, veggie wraps or whatever. And I had never made a veggie wrap, but I, I knew enough about all of the ingredients that I could assemble it and I could put it together. It wasn't going to be an issue. So I just kept putting myself into those types of scenarios where I didn't know how to do it, but I was going to figure it out anyway. And then when I turned 18, I moved to Mexico City for a couple of months and ended up staying for four years. And it was full immersion into the Mexican culture. And I loved every second of it. And while I was there, I got myself into a culinary school, but I actually studied restaurant management while I was there. So it was food, but it was also the, you know, kind of business acumen of running a company, um, in, in the restaurant industry. And so I loved it because I wanted to, I wanted to have my own restaurants one day. So I thought this is important. And simultaneously, I found a few spots in Mexico where I would go in and stage, which means, you know, you go in and you work for free and they let you shadow everybody and you're running around watching all these people. And, and that was awesome because, it was a whole new world. It wasn't me at my grandma's house with one pot. It was me with like 40 men in a giant (laughs) kitchen with, you know, 50 pots everywhere. And, uh, yeah, so it was, it was pretty, pretty uh, incredible. Just the nuance of, uh, context that I got in, in different types of food as I was growing up. My goodness. So now your cooking style seems to lean pretty heavily on that Mexican influence. And it makes sense totally. now, yeah, <laughs> knowing yeah. that you did your like culinary, you know, really training and learning there. And um, yeah. so when you're cooking now, like obviously you're incredibly busy and you <laughs> have a million things going on all the time. But what is kind of your night to night situation? Like, what does it look like in Ellen's kitchen when you're whipping up dinner? And I don't know <laughs> if you have leftovers for the chickens or not, or how <laughs> that works. Yeah. What are, what are you eating at home? Like, what does that look like? So I do these little reels on Instagram, uh, that I call them like speedy, this speedy, that everything is speedy. It's like speedy chopped salad, speedy tacos, speedy spaghetti, mm-hmm. because I don't, again, have a ton of time and I usually get home fairly late. So I'll be home around, I don't know, eight 30 and by nine, I'm literally starving Yeah, and I am, you know, rummaging around the kitchen, trying to find what, whatever the hell I'm going to cook. And it ends up being something speedy and fast and I'll do a quick reel on it. And it's fun because I think a lot of people appreciate that it's not 
too perfect. It's not yeah. overthought and it's just slapping ingredients together that make this magical thing. Like when I was little and saw the tomato and the onion and the beef turn into this wonderful casserole, it was like revelation. And so I, I kind of continue to cook like that. And to your earlier question, like, I actually think you're totally right that most of my influence is extremely Mexican because I love, I love acid. I love heat. I love, you know, a lot of spice and herbs. I love putting like tons of fresh herbs. And I have this tower in front of my house, like a lettuce grow tower. It's like a herb Mm. growing tower. And so I constantly have cilantros and dill and parsley all growing out there by the heaps and mint. So I can add fresh herbs to everything. And I also live in LA. So hello, the bounty of the farmer's market here is bonkers. So a lot of freshness on top of it and simple, keeping it simple. It's like lemon, olive oil, salt, pepper, herbs, maybe some spice. And and that is, that's how I cook. And call it a day. Yeah. Yeah. Make it taste good. Yeah, absolutely. What are some of your like favorite concoctions that you've been able to whip together at home? (laughs) Yes, I am really obsessed with smoking like brisket, salmon, Mm. anything smoked uh, in I have a Traeger grill and I I love it. And I had no idea how to smoke meats, you know, because you're not talking about a a little steak. You're talking about a 15 pound brisket. So it's quite the adventure to get that thing going. Uh, but during COVID, it was about a year ago, I decided I wanted to learn how to, how to do that. So I, so I started it and now I'm really into it. So I would say that's one of my favorites, definitely lean heavy on the Mexican side. So I'll make enchiladas, chilaquiles, um, tacos, all kinds of tacos, um, fish. I just recently made the contramar fish where it's like half green salsa, half red salsa, you know, that's like filleted open and so oh. beautiful, butterflied open and oh, it's delicious. That sounds so, so good. Yeah. Things like that. Just, I, I'm not a big on repeating recipes except for brisket, but, <laughs> but I, I just, I continually like pushing myself out of my comfort zone to learn something new and, and try it a little differently every time. Oh my gosh. So you're eating good. That sounds amazing. Quite a lineup. (laughs) It sounds like a big, big emphasis on like flavor and freshness. And it's, yeah, it's, it's almost lunchtime. I'm pretty hungry. (laughs) (laughs) Oh yeah. You're in New York. It is almost lunchtime. Yeah. You're torturing me, (laughs) but all good. So tell me about, I know you mentioned kind of like that herb tower and all these great things. What are some ingredients and staples that you always have in your kitchen? Like that, you know, maybe a little out of the ordinary, like obviously not salt, but like yeah. what are some things you always have in your kitchen? Yeah. I have an aggressive volume of vinegars. I oh. love adding vinegar to vegetables while I'm sauteing them or they're roasting them in the oven. And I hit, hit them at the end with, you know, uh, sherry vinegar or apple cider vinegar. I love champagne vinegar in salads. I always, always, always have a bowl of lemons and limes, uh, shallots, garlic, red onions, and yellow onions and ginger. So those are just, they live on my counter and they never go away. There's always a giant bowl of eggs because I have seven chickens. So (sighs) those girls produce like crazy. They are working. Oh, they are hustling. How many do you get a day from them? 
one egg each chicken for the most part. So every you're day. talking every day. And so, yeah, the volume is aggressive. I just took a giant bowl to the office because I was like, I got to spread the love to the team. <laughs> too many, too many eggs. I'm like, everybody come get your eggs. Oh, uh-huh. yes. <laughs> so, Those are like gold too. Oh yeah. Oh, they are so rich and beautiful. They are and like orange. Vibrant. And- yeah, exactly. They're not even yellow. They're like borderline orange. So I always have them on the counter. And then in the pantry, I am, I always keep certain basics. I love I love a pantry that has everything you need in there that you only have to get maybe one or two other ingredients, like the protein or maybe a veggie to complete the dish. You're not, you're not like, Oh, I'm making a recipe. Shoot. I got to go get Casa Voltrano olives and I don't have garbanzo beans <laughs> and I don't have this and I don't have that. So my whole pantry is just stocked from head to toe with, you know, lots of canned goods that are just legumes like beans and garbanzo yes. beans and things like that. That's just in case I like making it from scratch, but when you don't have time, you just don't have time. So that's there. And then there's lots more oils, right? Avocado oil, safflower oil, depending on what I'm going to be cooking. And then you've got your basics, like a ton of different nuts that I love to add to salads. I'm on a real salad kick right now. Oh. And so depending on what salad you're making, you want to add pistachios or walnuts or pine nuts or, you know, hazelnuts occasionally. Mm-hmm. And, oh, do you want to make a romesco? Okay, well, there's your hazelnuts. They're ready to go. So I like having my own mini bulk bin section at home where I'm not worrying about what I don't have. It's just all there. Oh so that, those are the staples in the pantry. And then in the fridge and when I go grocery shopping, it's usually to get things like feta cheese, yogurt, almond milk, Pellegrino waters, and either chicken or, or beef. But I'm not going to lie. Chicken kind of – I always feel – weird about it because I have chickens. Your babies. I have chickens and they're my babies and then I'm like eating chicken. So that one's that one's a little tough, tough to navigate. Right. Yeah. And it's probably hard to like avoid chicken, you know, to the extent. But oh my gosh, yeah, I totally get that. And yeah, (laughs) I actually when I lived in Wisconsin when I was a TV reporter in a former life, they obviously you don't see a whole lot of like chicken farming people here in New York. Um, (laughs) I like did a whole news story about like people were like really fighting to like keep their I guess the city was trying to ban like chicken license or whatever, like have allowed having them in the city. So I did this whole story about chickens and like why people love them so much and I was like holding them and petting them and I was like oh my god these are like really cute little pets like they're They're the cutest and they are funny and they just like they love you and they anytime they hear my voice they all come running towards me they're like mom's here everybody and they get along we have a pet pig named Oliver who's like naturally found naturally (laughs) and Oliver is friends with the chickens they all get along I mean it is it's a funny scene out there what what is chicken chicken and pig life yeah what are the chickens names they, there's a few that are all white silkies. So if you look silkies up on the internet, they look like little Muppets. Those Ooh. are collectively called the party chickens because they're all okay. white and they all look like they're headed to a party because they've got a Ooh. big kind of cone head of hair on the top of their heads. <laughs> it's very funny. Seriously, you have to, you have to Google silky chickens. They are ridiculous. Silky chickens. Okay. Yeah. So the party chickens collectively, then we have a beautiful black one 
Diana Ross. And then we have one other one, olive oil. And then uh, we have two big, giant, fat ones that are not silkies. They're another kind that we were given. And those are Charlie and Ray by, you know, inspired by Charles and Ray Ames. So that's that's the squad. (laughs) What a crack squad you got out there. (laughs) They're so funny oh my goodness oh my yeah. gosh now I'm like I want a chicken they sound so fun <laughs> you gotta get one chicken <laughs> oh my gosh yeah just h- hide it in my New York yeah. City apartment <laughs> exactly. in the closet <laughs> yes yeah, smuggle a chicken oh my god that all sounds so fun and it also sounds like you have literally an entire grocery store in your home but <laughs> and we have the tiniest pantry. It's not like I have some extravagant pantry. It's under the stairs, so it's like a Harry Potter closet. But I'm oh, very okay. I'm very nerdily organized. So everything has its own little compartment and section in there that's just perfectly straightened out. I was gonna say, I bet you're very organized with it and have all your like little bins and like oh, yeah. containers. Ooh, what a dream. That sounds <laughs> Like going shopping in your pantry just sounds like an absolute delight. (laughs) Exactly. Bring your grocery, bring a little cart, come over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Your little reusable bag, of course. It's California. Don't forget. California. Exactly. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Amazing. So I'm afraid to ask, how often do you grocery shop or are you just like stocked up for a long time? No, I actually do go to the market, I would say probably like two two times a week, two to three Mm -hmm. times a week. I'll do like a trip to the farmer's market if I have time that week to get, you know, just core produce. There's a tiny little store down the street called Cookbook that I absolutely love. And it feels like a mini farmer's market. It is, I think it's maybe 200 square feet. I mean, it is tiny. And you walk in and has everything from the market to like a cookbook. And so I'll go there and I'll just pick up the protein. Like, okay, we're going to make spaghetti tonight. All right. So then I'm going to get some ground beef and everything is from local farmers and the whole bit. Or I will go down to our other grocery store, Lassen's, and just pick up a few odds and ends. So I do one big run for the house for the week. And then I'll do a sporadic one or two if I'm feeling the urge. Like the other day I was I had a chopped salad from Jones on third and it was so freaking good. I wanted like four or more Jones on third is on the other side of the city. So I was like, well, can't do that. So I went to the grocery store and bought everything I needed for chopped salad and made the biggest chopped salad you've ever seen in your life for, for a speedy dinner. It's actually on my Instagram. You should go watch it. And, um, and, and so I went and picked up those ingredients, but then it, leads you to other things. I mean, cooking is like using your imagination. So you get cucumbers for one thing and the next day you get to make something else. So usually nothing goes to waste. Oh my God. That sounds like a lifestyle I need to lead. (laughs) We're going to take a quick break right now and hear from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Hot Dish Productions, an award-winning modern culinary production company specializing in creative digital video, photography, and podcast production. From concept through post-production, Hot Dish creates and produces compelling food stories that ignite the chef in all. Hot Dish Productions has deep connections to award-winning and celebrity chefs and over 20 years experience. Their team has won both a James Beard Award and an IACP Award for their work in food media. 
Hot Dish Productions delivers the highest quality product at a fair value. Let them help tell your culinary story today. Explore their work and learn more at hotdishproductions.com. So Ellen, another question for you. You inspire so many people and you inspire me and you're a very inspirational person to talk to and read and listen to, but I want to know who inspires you. I definitely want to say that my mother and aunts and all the Latin ladies in my life when I was growing up, a thousand percent inspire me because they were born on a very modest ranch in the middle of nowhere in Mexico, had no resources of any kind and made something out of nothing in their lives and helped each other, like pay for each other's schooling to get to college. And they were the first generation that went to college and they just were constantly showing me how to just show up and make things happen. And I love that about them. And I think Latin culture in general is very resourceful. And I feel really proud to be of like Mexican descent, because when you combine that with my English background, you've got really structured organization. Like my dad reads every manual from start to finish. If he ever buys anything, he's that kind <laughs> of a person. And then he's an engineer too. And then you've got my, my abuelita and mom who, if you need to nail something into the wall and they don't have a hammer, they'll take their shoe off and hammer it. in. you know, they're just like, <laughs> figure it out. And that is a, it's, that's a beautiful thing to just have resources, but then also be even more resourceful with, with your resources. Yes. Do, do they know how to do that thing where you open a wine bottle on the wall with a shoe? <laughs> I No, <laughs> but I will that? ask them. I feel like we should get trained in that. <laughs> I Okay, it happens like more often than you think where wow. you're stuck without a wine opener and you find yourself Googling how to open a wine bottle without a wine opener. And the first thing is always like you put it in a shoe and like bang it against the wall. I don't know. I've never tried it, but wow. it sounds like your abuelita <laughs> probably was already there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She like invented it. Like she's good to go. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. <laughs> So I have a very difficult question for you. Tell it's a fun me. little game. F Mary Kill. <laughs> G-rated. Oh, wow. Yes. But it's three things that are probably going to be very difficult for you to choose between. So we've okay. got garlic, tortillas, mm. and and eggs. Tortillas. Well, which one? Tortillas. I choose tortillas. But you have to pick one for each of the three. You have to F one, marry one, and kill one. Oh, 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 wow. Okay. I definitely didn't understand. Okay. So start again, start again. <laughs> what do okay. I need to do? Okay. So you F one of these, you marry one of these and you kill one of these. The three is garlic, tortillas, and eggs. What does F one mean? Like <laughs> the I'm G rated the F word. Oh, so oh, you okay. have sexual relations <laughs> with one of them. <laughs> Oh Ellen, you've never played oh this game. God. I've literally, clearly, like usually, usually it's like usually it's like for uh, for people like celebrities. Like, oh, you that's know. hysterical. I'm yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Usually it'd be F like, mean? yeah, it'd be like F Mary Kill. Like, 
George Bush, like Oprah oh Winfrey. Like, it, so it'd be funny. Like, yeah, but we're doing it with food. <laughs> well, I've literally never played this game. Wow, what? I feel like such a turkey. I've never played it before. Ellen, oh I know. Wait, can you give me an example? Like, okay, so if you're going to do it, you do one. Now I got to okay. hear you do it. Okay. Um, I'm trying to think of, well, I picked those three ingredients because they're like near and dear to you. So yeah. for me, like, F. Mary Co. would be like sushi, pasta, and um, sushi, pasta, and like, I don't know, like acai bowls. Like I'm basic as hell. But <laughs> I would probably kill pasta because while I really love it, it's something that I could live without. Yeah. Acai bowls, I would probably F because it's like a very temporary, like short, like you're kind of hungry later. Like it's delicious. (laughs) It's like satisfaction for a little while, but then you're like, okay, like I probably should eat something like that, that is actually like not just a bunch of fruit blended up. Yep. And then I would marry sushi because it's my favorite food in the world and I could not live without it ever. Oh my so, God. Okay. Thank you for the live demonstration. Yes. That was very helpful. Okay, yes. Good. So okay. yours is garlic tortillas and eggs. Okay. Garlic tortillas and eggs. All right. So I would, you know, I think I would, oh, it's like tortillas are like pasta. I guess I, I love them so much, but I think I would kill them off because- Wow. I know. I know. That's a, such a, maybe, no, now you're making me regret it. Okay. Maybe I'll marry the tortilla. Okay. I'm going to marry the tortilla. I'm going to kill. It's just like, can you even kill garlic? I don't even know if that's possible. Okay. There's other substitutes. What was the other there's one? There's other substitutes. Uh, eggs. Tortilla. Okay. Fine. I will kill. Everyone's going to kill me for killing off the garlic, but what am I going to kill? Eggs? That's crazy. Yeah, you can't. Okay. All right. I'll kill the garlic and I'll marry the tortilla. And then what was the third third option have sexual relations with oh yeah yeah f yes the one that i seem to forget okay so then i guess i'm effing the egg okay no i think i I think (laughs) this is getting very meta (laughs) i think i would maybe f the tortilla i don't know the tortilla is a tricky one that one tortilla is a tricky one because it's like it's a similar thing as the pasta where it's like it's carbs and you're like ah like should i be eating tortillas as much but then you're like wait a second for you it's an essential part of of your life of my life yeah exactly oh wow Uh well i have to say you just asked me the weirdest questions i've (laughs) ever been asked in a podcast so much so that i didn't understand them (laughs) good work alexa yes work (laughs) that is a title i will carry with me forever (laughs) and you're the first person i think i've ever known that didn't like know that game usually it gets like much weirder because it'll be like three like really old celebrities or three oh, like wow really well, now hot i know celebrities next time somebody plays that game with me i'll be like oh yeah you're ready to rock i'm preparing ready. you i'm preparing you for all the important things you're giving like very important poignant life advice and i'm like yeah have sex with some tortillas, tortillas. what do you think oh <laughs> my goodness you know very what? important Eclectic. Yeah, hard-hitting journalism happening here. (laughs) Oh, my God. So So final question for you, my friend. After, you know, putting your all of your amazing, like, thoughts and experiences into the written word that will live on forever now, I guess, how how does it feel and how, you know, 
what is kind of the main takeaway that you hope people, you know, get from your book or what is kind of like the main thing that you hope happens now that you're like looking back on it and like, wow, like my book is out there in the world. Yeah, totally. I think my, my biggest goal with it is to inspire people into action. And if this book gives them the kick in the pants that they need to just take that first step, that's what I want them to do. It's not about taking a thousand steps. It's just get the first step and then you'll do the next step and the next one. And giving people a chance to see a business that was born from nothing versus comparing themselves to businesses that had investors, that had people running it that had MBAs and all these other things. There's so many more people that don't have all of that, that I thought it was unfair that there wasn't a business book out there to help all those people. And it is just, it's an inspiring, honest, raw story that'll not make you feel bad because you didn't make it. It'll make you feel like, you know what, I got to start now and just get going and get those dreams to become the thing you want to become. And you already have so many of those, um, abilities within you. You just have to like ignite them and get that special sauce out into the world and make it happen. So that is, that is the book. It's in the title dream first details later, not details, never details later, just get the damn idea going and don't stop. Don't just don't stop. Just start. Don't ever stop. I love that. (laughs) And would you say, I mean, it sounds like there's sort of an entrepreneurial, you know, spin to it or but but it sounds also at the same time that you can kind of broaden that whole vibe to really whatever it is that you're trying to embark upon if even if it's not like opening a business or is that kind of the vibe absolutely like you could pick this up and not necessarily say oh I'm an entrepreneur you could say hey I work for an organization and I really want to change careers or paths, or I want to try something that I've never tried before. It, it gives you the basics of how to do that in a really honest way. And it's very much a story. It's my story and my, my learnings and my failures and the things that I caught along the way. And it shows you all of that. So you're just like, you're learning by listening, but not by being taught. If you know what I mean, it doesn't feel like you're being shoved in with knowledge. You're just like, oh, this is a really good story. I'm going to read every section of it. And then by the end of it, you're like, hell yes, I can do this. Let's go. It's me pep talking you to the finish line. (laughs) I love that. I am so excited. And I feel like I just like, I need a little Ellen in my life, like guiding me through everything. It'll be me. Anytime you need EB to yell at you, you just open chapter three or four or five. There (laughs) I am. I'm like, what? You want to give up? Get back up and get out there. (laughs) Listen to what I did. You won't believe this. Like, oh my gosh. I absolutely love that. Well, this has been an absolute delight, Ellen. Thank you so, so, so much for being here and sharing your story and your wisdom and answering my weird questions. It was all (laughs) wonderful. (laughs) Thanks for having me, Alexa. This was so much fun. I'm so glad. All right. Thank you for listening. To learn more about the food and drink discovery platform that is The Feed Feed, head to thefeedfeed.com. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at The Feed Feed. And don't forget to follow Ellen, Ellen at Ellen Marie Bennett and Headley and Bennett at 
Headley and Bennett. That's B-E-N-N with two N's and two T's. Bennett. (laughs) If you have a food story to tell or want us to interview a blogger, cookbook author, chef, or restaurateur who has helped you solve that question of what's for dinner, we would love your suggestions. Just send us a DM on Instagram. See you next time. The Feed Feed is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradio.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, and more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from our listeners like you. Want to be part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Thanks for listening.